Good day and welcome to today's Capital One Teachable Tuesday live webinar. We are pleased to offer this session on checking in on your wellness, your emotional, mental, and physical health. Thanks for joining this important session as we discuss ways to assist COSIDA members in these anxiety-ridden times. We'll offer some thoughts and strategies on taking care of yourself as we continue to work through the pandemic and work in stressful environments where many of us might be short-staffed and budget-limited. Topics will include helping you recognize signs of anxiety and depression, sharing advice and strategies on empowering you to address these issues with colleagues, superiors, family and friends, and much more. And we welcome your questions at any time. Just place them in, in the attendee hub section and you can ask anonymously if you wish. I am Mike Kern. I'm the Associate Commissioner at the Missouri Valley Conference and a member of the Coast Side of Professional Development and Education Committee and I'll be your moderator today. We do, again, appreciate you joining us today. Before we begin and introduce our panelists, we'd like to say a quick thank you to corporate partner Capital One, presenting sponsor of COSIDA's Professional Development Continued Education Series. As a reminder, we are recording this webinar and later in the attending hub, you can either watch it as an on-demand session or download it as a podcast. Please invite fellow current COSIDA colleagues to listen and watch this in the member hub. Now, here are today's uh, guest panelists. First, I'll start with uh, presenter Dr. Kay Cole. She's uh, on the University of Iowa athletic staff as its mental health therapist and consultant and works closely with student athletes and staff on issues of mental health, which includes depression, performance, anxiety, panic disorders, other mental and emotional conditions. Welcome, Kay. Thank you. And also with us today is Scott Day. Uh, Scott previously was a COSIDA member and athletics commun communications administrator at Delaware, Richmond, VCU, and Monmouth. He currently serves as communications and operations director for the Unlock the Light Foundation, which is dedicated to unlocking the student's light by providing resources for those struggling with depression, self-injury, and suicide. Welcome, Scott. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be back with the members. Yeah, happy to have you. Uh, first, let's go ahead and get started with, with Dr. Cole and Kay, just some general thoughts about athletics communications work and how being on seven days a week with sports information responsibilities um, and how that all imp impacts emotional and, and physical stress. Sure. So. I did um, a little bit of recon on the job responsibilities of an SID in preparation for this chat. And I gleaned four things. Uh, one, there is no off season. This role is 24 seven, 365 days a year. Um, the other thing that I gleaned was that even though this work is most of the work that you all, that most of the work that you all conduct is behind the scenes, um, your product is really just front and center for the world to see. Um, you're always in go mode or you're just always on. Um, this, this role also reminds me um, that the person who are in these positions has the servant's heart, um, which you know I can relate to as a mental health clinician. Um, I'm just always being on for people. Um, I also did another thing too. Um, I, I did a search on SID positions on two job seeking sites. And I discovered that they're described as something else, but remain in the context of media. And th these roles are very vast, which tells me 
that you all are masters of pretty much everything, um, which begs the question of, of one, there are a lot of these positions available. Um, two, um, it makes you susceptible for, to a lot of different things. And so some of the things that I started thinking about was I can imagine that due to, as you mentioned, budget cuts or low staffing, um, multiple positions are combined to the, due to those bu budget cuts. Um, some of the things that I thought about that made you all susceptible to things like uh, career burnout, uh, boundary challenges, anxiety, depression, perfectionism, um, and a whole host of other things. But those are the one things that have stood out to me. Um, I also realized that that you all are in a really like this really unique position. And, and I'm wondering how you all stay, you know, acknowledge that all these things are taking place around you and not falling into this trap of being um, emotionally unwell. And so um, Scott here is gonna talk a little bit more about what that trap looks like. And I wanted to offer a, a different perspective um, to some of the things that he has seen in this, in his current, in his previous position. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Yeah, um, yeah, go ahead, Scott. Introduce your story a little bit and, and talk about uh, how you got wrapped up in the, in the job and how your SID work never hid and and what it, how it affected your life. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, and I know Mike and I have run across paths, and I'm sure there's plenty of people um, listening in that I've, I've run across paths at different games or tournaments or something. Um, my career probably really wasn't unlike many others out there. Um, I started as an intern at Monmouth uh, a year in. Um, I was a student athlete, so I wanted to stay in the business. So I started at Monmouth, got the internship year out of the way, and then got to took over a full-time role at VCU um, and really hit the ground running um, and had a lot of success early. Um, and was put in a director's role um, at VCU leading the office at 26. Um, and I really hadn't been, I mean, I had a team captain, but a team captain in college is a little different than being a director's role uh, in the real world. So um, I really had to learn on the fly. Um, but I, and, and then a year later, we're in the final four and everything else happens and things are spiraling a million miles a minute. Um, and life happens. Um, and then along the way, I had two kids. And then um, as we all do, uh, we get wrapped up in the work and work becomes pretty much more than um, just a job. It was who I was. I mean, it was literally who I was, um, which when I look back in those moments, I didn't, I really didn't think anything of it. That's what I wanted to do. Um, I always told myself, and I, I told many people in the time, like, I was, if I was 12 years old, if I was talking to my 12 year old self when I was 28 and you're saying, Hey, you're going, you're covering these games for a business. Like my 12 year old self would have been jumping up and down. Um, but there's a lot of other stresses out there, um, that build on you. Um, and we all know that this isn't a financially wealthy position. It's just not. Um, and so it, we didn't do a good job of managing finances and all sorts of other things. And, um, two kids happened really quick and the third kid happened really quick. And, um, and then marriage just started falling apart from there. Cause I wasn't taking care of everything else. Um, I wasn't taking care of my physical health, my mental health, anything. Um, but at the time I just kept what I, what I do was everything else, everything that we do is SIDs. We just turn around to do more work. 
Um, and that's, that's what we did. Um, and then um, in January of, um, or December of 2016, um, or 15, um, I had my first suicide attempt. Um, we had had an art, my wife and I had an argument the day after Christmas, uh, locked myself in the garage and that was it. I was done. Um, the month before we had had our third kid, child, um, I remember sitting in the hospital room holding my daughter um, and feeling absolutely nothing. Um, and that was the moment I made the decision. I didn't want to be here anymore. Um, I remember looking at my wife right in the eyes and she was scared to death because she could literally see that I had nothing inside of me. Um, there was emptiness. Um, and we, I mean, we've talked about it since. Um, so, um, and then that day after Christmas, we got in an argument, locked myself in the garage, set up the ladder, had grabbed the rope and made the decision. I, I this is it. I, it's, it's the world's going to be better off without me. I'm causing too much issues with family and everything else. I'm, I'm, it's not worth it. I can't figure things out on my own. Um, so luckily my wife had found the key, I opened the garage and, and stopped me in time. And then over the next 18 months, I had two times where I drove to a bridge, uh, stood on the ledge and then um, was stopped one time. And then the, the last time I went, I stood on the edge and looked down and I saw the three faces of my kids in the water. Um, and that third time was in June of 2017. Um, and that was the time that I finally broke down. I literally sat down on the corner of the bridge. There was a little curve there. Um, and I just lost it. Um, and I knew I needed to accept therapy. Um, and so many times it's like, oh yeah, well, I'll, I'll do therapy. Yeah, I'll do therapy. Um, and I just didn't, um, I, I did, but I wasn't there. I wasn't present. I wasn't really willing to listen. Um, I went to four different therapists before I finally found one that I clicked with, that I worked with. Um, but as I've told people since, as I look back on that first therapist that I work with, I, if I was in a better state of acceptance, I may have worked with that person, but I, I, I just, I wasn't willing to listen. Um, and so many of us take, it, it, it's just difficult. It's not an easy step to be like, yeah, I, I need some help. Um, but over the last, over the course of about two years, I really got a hold of my mental health, which allowed me to get a hold of my physical health. Um, during that, um, just like so many other members, we're traveling and we're putting the work first and we're not, we're not taking care of ourselves. So my, my weight had gotten up to about 345 was the highest it got up to. Um, so after I was able to kind of start with my mental health and clear that, I started to work on my physical health and all that tied in together. Um, and I'm, I'm down to about 220 now. Um, I just finished the Richmond Marathon a couple of weeks ago um, as part of this journey. Um, and I've, I've been outspoken since because I've realized the power of telling my story and how it can help others. Um, and my story will be out there and I'm more than happy to go even more in depth with any members. Um, but that's kind of a little synopsis of where I was. Um, I was at Delaware and then COVID hit and so many others. Um, my job got eliminated at Delaware. Uh, and now I work at this foundation that I'm incredibly blessed to work at. Scott, I knew I knew your story, and just hearing you tell it is very uh, uh, it gives me shivers. Really, still, um, thank you for sharing that. And hey, I want to start with you and talk a little bit about you know Scott got to the point where the the warning sign said mm -hmm. you know got to the point where he was on the brink. Yeah, how how do you recommend recognizing those warning signs and and for for the people that are listening today and what what they need to do to avoid burnout and anxiety and things like that that happen in this SID life. 
So, so it's interesting because so when I, you know, hear his story, because his story is, is, is incredible. Like, you know, Barb shared it with me first and then hearing him tell it in his own voice is just um, absolutely just incredible to hear, but you know, it, but it's common. I mean, this happens a lot. You know, one of the perspectives that I want to share is that, you know, in mental health, sometimes um, when we hear, you hear the term in mental health a lot, um, self-harm, you think of self-mutilation, which is like this active, like this act of deliberately inflicting pain or harm to, to yourself. So we think about cutting, burning, scratching, um, other forms of external injuries, but we don't look at self-harm as emotional harm. And what Scott is actually, you know, describing is self-harm in a very different way. Um, and, but then, you know, you think about everything that led him up, those behaviors that led him up to the, to, to the brink of, or to a bridge or in his garage. And you think about all those steps that it took to get to that part, to, to, to get to, to that part of his life where he was just ready to let go. And, and some of the things that happened to us along the way, we don't even think about how they impact us. And some of those things could look like uh, negative self-talk, having a very loud inner critic, um, engaging in these self-sabotaging behaviors. So that's saying, yes, when you have so much already going on, uh, relying on external validation to feel good or worthy. So that's wrapped up in your identity as a professional. Um, you're doing these things that are comfortable, but they're unhealthy. Um, the other thing that we forget to look at is self-betrayal. Uh, doing things that you don't want to do, but simply doing them because they appease people or you're trying to please someone else. It's just a violation of your own boundaries. Um, and I think the other obvious um, the other obvious factor in all of this and, and what we see in athletics in general is the grind mentality. You can sleep when you're dead. And, and that is just a, just a part of the job. And we know that grind mentality is dangerous for so many reasons. Um, but the trick is to start calling them out and redefining what they need and how they adversely impact someone. Um, the, I think that the easy part of this um, and recognizing, you know, anxiety and, and burnout, what those things look like, the, the usual suspects, the anxiety, the physical, the, the headaches, the nausea, um, the frequent bathroom breaks that aren't connected to any kind of gastro condition, um, unexplained pain, fatigue, uh, sleep challenges, and so on. Um, the mental part of that too is, you know, the restlessness, uh, difficulty concentrating, uh, irritability, short fuse, ruminating. Um, but some of the things that we don't think about that are kind of like sneaking um, that, that kind of hide uh, from our purview that are other signs of anxiety is being overly prepared or overthinking like upcoming events that, that, um, that you're preparing for that, so that you don't have the negative outcomes. Um, sometimes it could be you're surprised when you're not worrying. So then it's like, wait a minute, why am I so relaxed right now? I must have forgot something. So then you go on this mission to, to try to figure out what it is that you forgot. Um, another sign could be, you know, you're doubting yourself. You don't even trust your own opinions anymore. So you go and you seek outside validations. Um, you rely on inanimate objects to serve as some type of safety net. 
Um, and um, a, a final one could be that you're always guarded. I'm not gonna show emotions of any kind, that is for the weak. Um, but in, in addition to some of those things, you know, we look at what really causes um, burnout and what does career-related burnout look like? Um, and, and what we know is that it's just this constant state of physical and emotional exhaustion that, um, that involves this, um, this sense of like a reduced accomplishment, a loss of personal identity um, and so on. And, and we know that burnout is a signal that your body is basically telling you, hey, I'm lacking these resources and I, I don't know if I can keep going on in the way that, that we currently are. So I need some assistance here. Um, and there are three components to burnout. Um, emotional exhaustion, I think that's pretty self-explanatory, uh, depersonalization, and that, that reduced uh, personal accomplished piece. So um, emotional exhaustion would be being in a state of, of being unable to recover mentally. So this looks like that inability to concentrate, irritability, um, becoming easily angered, um, feeling ill, lack of energy, fatigue. Uh, depersonalization is kind of a tricky one, but it actually serves as a defense coping mechanism. So essentially what happens is a person limits their own involvement with other people by creating this psychological distance. So essentially what someone does is I'm going to create this emotional buffer between myself and this demand of this job. But what happens is it makes a person feel isolated, makes them feel alone. It makes them resent, you know, their job, their workload, their colleagues, their families. I mean, you know, Scott just mentioned, you know, having a new, a new baby and feeling nothing. Um, so that perfect example of that, it makes you feel like you don't care anymore. And that last one is that reduced personal accomplishment. Um, when you're no longer feeling a sense of fulfillment or accomplishment um, with your job, um, then you start to question, what is it that I'm doing? What is it that I'm doing? Um, your work um, decreases, your ability to perform decreases, self-blame increases, you lose confidence in yourself, um, your self-esteem self takes a nosedive and that inner critic becomes louder. And then at some point you get to a place of, you get to this crossroads in your life that, that Scott has described. So Thank you, Kay. And Scott, you mentioned earlier uh, about uh, how your job just defined who you were and how you felt that was a thing. And obviously that's, that's a dangerous place that all of us find ourselves in. And can you, can you reflect on some, some coping skills that you might've been able to apply to your life during that time and how things might've been different? Yeah. I mean, it's funny as, as Dr. Cole was talking, I was just kind of thinking and about the whole ID thing. And like, if you, if you go back, like during that time, like when I was probably at my lowest, if you, somebody would have asked me, I, I probably would have identified as my, with my job first, not being a dad, not being a husband, but I was so wrapped up in where I was career-wise because I, in my mind at the time, if I got to the next stage of my career, whatever that I thought that was going to be, I then I'd be able to take care of everything else. Well, that's, that's not how, that's not how it works. That's like, you lose all of that. Um, and one of the things that I actually, for the foundation that I work in, 
we host dinners here um, at the facility I work at and we host, we host a monthly dinner for student athletes. Um, we have three or four different local colleges that we connect with here. Um, and one of the rules of an athlete dinner here is you can't talk about your sport. So when they come here, they are Jasmine, the basketball player, or they are Johnny, the football player, or they are um, Allie, the rower, or whatever. Um, they come here as people. They don't come here as athletes. And I think back to all those times that I was at a COSIDA convention or talking to other SIDs before games or whatever those times that we have together, when it's a chance to connect as people, how many times do we talk about game notes or how many times do we talk about what we need to do on social media or how many times do we talk about those types of elements of work, which all in the right mind help us grow in, as professionally. But how many times do we actually say, Hey, how's the wife and kids? How are you doing? And like, instead of acknowledging us as people, and that's, that's us, like that is us as a job. That is what we do. Um, that is our profession. And that makes many of us so many, so good at our job, but it also makes us terrible candidates for handling a mental health. It just <laughs> does. Um, and I think taking those opportunities when we see each other at COSIDA convention or when we see each other on the road. Convention's usually the time when we have the best chance and sometimes we do, but why don't, why don't we work on doing that during the year when we sit down at before a game or when you're on the road or, I mean, we're, on, we're, not, we're in hotels all the time. Like take, take two or three people that you're gonna connect with every day um, or every week or whatever your schedule allows and schedule it, literally schedule it hey, I, I could use a talk here. Um, and I still, I, I still wish I could get better at that. Um, but I think us, um, I say us because I'm still, still consider myself part of the crew. Um, I, I think SIDs and, and communicators in general, I, I think we could do a better job of that, of really taking those moments and the game notes and talking about the game notes or talking about uh, what you're doing on social or talking about whatever coach is driving you nuts or whatever else, let that push back for a little bit uh, and, and talk about how they're doing as people. That, that's great advice, Scott. And I think all this is resonating with the people that are on today's call. And when we opened up, we talked about how SID life never turns off. So Scott, as you're thinking about, um, you know, building walls or setting boundaries and how have you been able to do that in, in your life, um, and then I'll get to Kate with that same question about setting boundaries and, and turning the SID life off and how that works. Um, I will say I'm still not great at it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's part of human. That's part of us as humans, but um, that's what makes us so good at that. Um, but I, I think over time I've learned how to pick stuff up in my mind. And that was part of what I worked with when I was to working with my therapist and and understanding where I'm at in the last two weeks right now, like literally my last two weeks here has, I could name seven or eight different things that are like high stress um, personally and professionally um, that I'm dealing with. And literally Sunday, I sat down to work with, work on a presentation we're making uh, tonight, literally. And we had, I've just had a lot and I sat down and I couldn't focus. And typically I would just kind of push through or, try to keep doing it. And I literally closed my computer. I went for a run and took my dog for a long walk. 
And that's what I did. Cause I knew, I knew I needed it. I needed to put up a wall. I needed to put up a boundary because whatever I was going to write in the presentation or whatever, wasn't going to be a, my best work, first of all. And second of all, I, I don't like we, I, I, in order to push through, I had to take that time for myself and it, it's taken me forever. Um, and it took me forever to find my routine. Um, the running was, has become a big part of my life and getting out and being active. Um, but it took a while to figure out when that was going to fit into my schedule, but I made it, had, I, I had to figure it out. I tried to do it in the afternoon. It wouldn't work in the afternoon. I tried to do it in the morning and it just bounced back and forth. And I finally found when I needed to do it. So you need to find those triggers and understand what that will do to your overall health and your overall performance in your job and your personal life. Um, and setting up those walls is, is critical is understanding. And that's a, that's a personal wall too. Um, and I think professionally, it's really difficult. Um, I, 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 I know there's plenty of people on this uh, call that, um, well, I can't put up that wall with X, y, X coach or this coach or that coach. I can't tell you how many coaches that I have talked to since I left that have said, I wish, I wish we would have talked more about this when you were here. Um, now, when we're in the business, I know it's a lot easier now that I'm out and people know my story. It's a lot easier as humans to be like, well, I wish we, I, we, could, have, we could have worked on it. That, that's the typical response. But I can guarantee you, um, and, I, and I've had the pleasure of speaking at a bunch of different schools, uh, and I told Barb this, but it, <clears throat> when we've spoken at the Dover Air Force Base here in Delaware, um, and I had, when I told my story at the Dover Air Force Base, I had an airman walk up to me afterwards and said, how do I do this? Like, I need help, but how do I do this when I, if I tell somebody they're going to, it's going to hurt my military career. It's the same thing. It's the same thing for us as SIDs. We're afraid, oh, it's going to hurt my career. They're going to think of me as weak or whatever. You have to have that conversation because if not, you could end up in a garage or a bridge like I did. And that's and like, it's just not worth it. Um, that's how we get so wrapped up. Goes back to IDing myself and the job and everything else is I never took care of myself. And I was so worried about my career that I was willing to just push through and put myself in literally in harm's way because I didn't want to hurt my career, but I was hurting myself. And that's yourself always, always goes ahead of your career. Yeah. Okay. Now, okay. We do have an audience question. I'm going to kind of weave into this next question for you. And it's a question about uh, COVID and cases rising, particularly in, in Canada where they might be locking down again. And how do you, how do you, um, put up a wall or put up boundaries. And as Scott mentioned that you feel like it could be uh, jeopardizing your own job um, by doing so in, in a time where, you know, how do you manage that stress and, and continue to be effective at your job while also needing to put up a boundary? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think the short, long sh short of it. Um, so I think it's several things as Scott mentioned what Scott is describing is like radically taking control of your life. That is, as he's talking, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. This is exactly what you're supposed to do. You are supposed to, a person, when we think about self-care, 
we think about, it could be, oh, I'm gonna light these scented candles. Oh, I'm gonna take this bubble bath. Oh, I'm gonna do this. No, radical self-care is going to get help. It is actively, intentionally pursuing um, ways to make yourself healthy. Whatever your struggle is, uh, whatever you're battling, um, it is taking control of your life with so much um, intentionality um, that you will do everything to make yourself better. Um, I, I, I know everyone has heard this term, um, this phrase before, um, um, you, only, you only live once, right? No, you die once, you live every single day. And I think people need to start understanding what that looks like, what that looks like for them, what that looks like for their family. Um, and how they prioritize what those needs are. Um, one activity that I found is helpful for the clients that I work with, because I work with professional athletes, I work with student athletes, I, I work with all kinds of people, um, is that is, is for them to take inventory of previous and current coping strategies, both unhealthy and both healthy. And we always look at coping strategies in the following areas. Um, mind or mental, uh, your physical health or your body, how you're taking care of your body, your spiritual wellness, your emotional wellness, and your social wellness. So we look at all kinds of coping strategies in those areas to figure out what is going to work best for a person. Uh, once that inventory is taken, um, we scrutinize the list and discuss what's working, what's not working. What's worked in the past that you completely forgot about that you now need to incorporate. I had one client that used to spend time daydreaming and she would carve out an hour a day to sit next to her the favorite window and her favorite chair and she would daydream and it made a world of difference in her life. Um, so things like that, things that you don't think about. Um, on my bookshelf behind me, I have a coloring book. Um, I love things like sugar skulls. Um, that's just kind of one of the things that I love. And I have a coloring book full of these things. So you, you don't think about coloring, but I used to love the color as a kid. I use it as a, a method, a soothing method, method for my clients. It works wonders. So we look at all of those things that have worked for a person in the past, and we look at how we might incorporate those activities and strategies back into someone's life. Um, Sometimes what, what happens is we'll discover that an unhealthy coping strategy is tied to a traumatic incident or an event, which then requires a further investigation. But to you know your point, how do we take all these things? Okay, I'm doing all these things in my personal life. How do I do this on the professional side? Um, and I think um, in, a, in a role as vast as this one, boundaries is going to be the key. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. And I think people, sometimes when they think about boundaries, they think of, oh boy, you know, what if I put this boundary up and that person doesn't like me anymore? Or if I put this, per this boundary up and it's continued to get violated, how, how am I going to negotiate all of that? Well, when we think about boundaries, think about them, um, there's, they're in three, in three categories or types. So we think about porous boundaries. These are weakly defined or poorly expressed boundaries, right? So um, you look at 
a, a examples of what this might look like. Um, maybe it's oversharing. Maybe it's codependency. And I'm talking about in life in general, personal or professionally, um, oversharing, uh, codependency, the inability to say no. Um, because again, we want to appease people. We don't want folks upset with us, um, accepting mistreatment. Then there's rigid boundaries. Rigid boundaries are on, on the opposite side of that. So they are extreme. This includes, you know, building up the walls to keep others out, to keep ourselves safe. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we have to put these, these kinds of boundaries in place to build, di to build distance. So that may include never sharing, uh, cutting people out, avoiding vulnerability, um, enforcing these strict rules around us. And then, you know, finally, the one that we all want to be able to do is um, create these healthy boundaries. So we're talking about, and we're talking about being in alignment emotionally, uh, mentally, uh, physically, and being able to communicate those boundaries in a very clear, coherent manner. Um, manner. Um, and this requires lots of self-awareness about wanting and knowing what's best for yourself. So um, so I, I think, you know, when we start putting all these in, in place and start taking inventory of what's working for us and what's not working for us, then we can make these adjustments. It's like, it's like you're on having a playbook, right? Okay, let, let's see what's working. Okay, our zone defense, I'm, I'm a football person. Our zone defense is not working here. All right, so let's, let's go to man coverage. And if you don't start um, adjusting how you're handling things in your playbook, you're gonna lose every single time. Yeah, okay, you, you mentioned a playbook. And one thing that, uh, that has happened with everybody in the last two years is there is, there is no playbook on managing COVID. You know, Scott's job was eliminated at Del Delaware. And, that's not unlike uh, many other places where the, where the job and the threat of the job in the face of COVID is, is a real thing. And I'll, I'll go back to Scott and talk a little bit about that experience. And if he's talked to others that have had that, that situation occur and how, how you manage that from a mental approach. And, and then I'll get back to Kay with that same question of how, how your advice to, to people has changed in the face of COVID and how they, they can manage that. Yeah. I, I, it's funny. Um, I look back on that. And when I walked out, um, I had a zoom meeting and found everything out and I walked out and I ran into one of our coaches and the coach said, after we talked and exchanged some things, um, they said, maybe, maybe God put you off through everything they put you through so you can be ready for this. Um, and I, I didn't think about that for, in that moment, obviously, because that's not what you, not really what you're thinking about. Um, but as I look back, if I hadn't gone through what I went through um, three or four years prior at that time, I'd be dead today. There's no, there's no qualms about it. I, I, there's no way if I hadn't known how to manage my mental health and gotten everything else on my side, on my personal side together, there's no way I could have gone through what I went through at Delaware. There's just, there's no, no, no chance. Um, but I think the biggest thing I learned through all this is the importance. And I, I say this all the time um, of, and I use a boxing analogy. Sorry, sorry. I, I can go to the football, but I use the boxing, um, but really find your corner. And what I mean by that is I've had people in my corner forever and I have a ton of people. Um, but find the people that you want 
right on the sideline. Uh, and I use this analogy when I speak, but find the people that will help you pick, pick yourself up, will wipe your blood off your face, will squirt water in your face and give you advice on how to handle the next round. Or hell, if, if, if you go through a round in life where you, you don't feel like you can fight, they're going to be willing to step in and fight around for you. Um, and for me, I went home that night and told my wife everything. And she immediately said, it's okay. We can do this on our, on, on our own. And the, I mean, obviously having a partner like that is a difference maker, but having friends like that, if you don't have a partner, if, if having friends like that, that you can go to then say, okay, we got your back. We got your back. And, and the people that will give you honest feedback and not what you want to hear, because I think in my probably two worst years, um, probably in every facet of my life, professionally, per personally, everything, um, my two worst years, I was probably leaning on people I probably shouldn't have listened to. They were, they may, they, they could probably sit in the stands and they can, they can kind of watch the fight, but I shouldn't be listening to them because they're not giving me real feedback. Um, cause they don't know the actual things that I was going through at that time. Um, so I, I think really understanding who is in your corner so that when things happen, like a job loss or you lose staff or, um, all sorts of things um, that come along with the job, especially now when your budget's cut and you're still asked to do the same amount, but you're, you don't see a salary increase or um, it, 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 you're, I mean, you're asked to, you, they keep adding, they cut a video person, but they ask you to stream video now. Um, all those things that add extra stressors, find that corner and rely on them and, and they'll help you through it. Um, and that's, that's, and hell I'll reach out to me. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best to be in that corner as much as I can. We have a question from the audience that I'll, I'll, I'll ask Kay and it's kind of ties into what Scott was just talking about. Um, but we all, SIDs seem to value mental health right now. And, and how do you go to your boss and how do you request the time off that you need, um, to get your own mental health and, the, and your quality of life in the right place. And that's for you, Kay. Gotcha. Um, so I, I, I think it, it all comes down to how comfortable you are with advocating for yourself. And, you know, if you aren't comfortable taking up for yourself or standing up for yourself, you're going to struggle a little bit. Um, one of the it, it really all just comes down to basic communication. So one of the things, one of the ways that you can convey this to your bosses is saying, listen, boss, um, it's important to me to, for that I need to, that I have the time to recharge, rest, or whatever it is and fill in the blank when I'm outside of, of the office. Um, in order for me to be fully present, I, I would like to be able to share my ideas with you on how I might accomplish this. Can we schedule some time to talk about it? And I think that um, that opens the door for your, your boss or whoever you're reporting to, to, to really, you know, listen to what you have to say. You know, gone are the days where, you know, we're, where we're beyond what we're hiding now. People are or normalizing these conversations around mental health 
uh, mental wellness and taking care of themselves. So I think, um, you know, starting to open those lines of communication while still saying, listen, I'm, 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 a, I'm here for the team, but I want to be well while doing this. Um, I do think the other part of it too is, is you, you're not the only person that ex that's experiencing these things. Surely if I'm experiencing it, this person might be, this person might be too. And it's, and, and people are communicating these things um, in their, in their body language, their community communicating in, in their comments and things of that nature. And if you're, if you're in an athletic department that um, does not have mental health clinicians available, one of the things that I would recommend doing is uh, reaching out to the university counseling services um, and, and have them come in and conduct workshops and, or things of that nature. Um, if you don't have access to that, then maybe get you a small crew of people at work who um, have this similar interest in mental wellness and, and coming up with ideas that you can present to, to the staff or to your boss or whomever. But I think gone are the days where we're hiding, you know, these struggles, especially um, in, it, in, in the, these days of COVID. I think COVID, the silver lining with COVID has been, it has had us rethink how we do things. We no longer had to do have to do them this way because they've always been done that way. Well, we know that the whole world shifted because of COVID. Take advantage of that. Um, and so that would be uh, one of my recommendations on how to approach your your boss or um, the person that you're having to report to, or or how to to assemble kind of a crew of people to help address some of these issues. One other thing that's very timely is it's okay, it's the holidays. And first of all, for an SID, what is a holiday? Uh, <laughs> but uh, how, do you, how do you decompress and calm yourself down during the holiday season? And, and I'll start with Scott on that one because he's experienced some holidays where they weren't holidays and now hopefully experiencing them in a different way. Yeah, um, it's funny. It's now been two straight holidays that I actually get like a holiday. Um, it, I, I think really forcing yourself um, to step away. Um, and I'll go back to the, the question Dr. Cole just answered and then Phil go forward. I think that I've had that, I've had that um, conversation with a boss um, and it didn't go well. Um, so I get it. And, and those conversations not, aren't necessarily going to go well all the time. Um, I think the best thing I can recommend is really spending time and understanding what you want to accomplish out of the meeting and knowing that you might not accomplish what you want, but really going in with like an understanding and maybe some notes of what you want to get across to said boss. Um, but those conversations are difficult. They just are in athletics and, but you have to have those conversations because again, I'll go back to the ID thing. If, if we get so wrapped up in who we are as a job and not taking care of ourselves, we're going to lose ourselves. And it, it, that's just not where you want to end up. Um, for the holiday thing, I, I think for me, it, it's really about forcing yourself to shut your computer, shut it down, everything, and, and really force yourself. Um, leave your computer at home or whatever and tell people. 
tell people that too. Um, again, I, I get it and I understand the bowl games and I understand everything else. Or maybe you find another way to do it. Maybe you don't celebrate Christmas on the 25th and you celebrate it on the 23rd, um, whatever fits your schedule. You do it so you can take time for yourself. Um, Dr. Colt started by talking about some of these things, but we as a, as a profession, we are servants, period. That's, that's what we do. Um, and we are constantly, our job is literally to, to promote other people. Other people is our, we we never promote ourselves. And I haven't, I mean, like I know you and I have been to a million different conventions where we're talking about how do we do a better job of promoting ourselves? How do we do a better job of promoting ourselves? We have to take care of ourselves, period. I mean, we have to take care of ourselves um, and in any facet we can. And, and whether that's moving a holiday up two days or taking a morning or whatever, um, for me, it's really finding what works. Um, and what works for one person isn't going to work for the other. It's the same thing Dr. Cole talked about with coloring. I see it every day here. Running has become my thing. Other people use lifting. Other people use coloring. Other people use art. You have to find what works for you individually. Um, and that will only help you unlock everything. That earlier, earlier on, you mentioned about finding your corner and, and, did your corner consist of friends and did you feel comfortable talking and venting to friends and how much would you, should you reveal when you're just talking to, to friends and, and getting through wherever you're trying to get through? Um, yes, it included friends. Um, but I know there's probably people on here that were close, that may be close friends of mine that probably didn't know. Um, when I really first opened up about my full story of where I was, I took many phone calls um, from people that were pretty close to me that didn't know everything. Um, the people that really knew everything were probably my wife, my parents, and that's pretty much it. Um, they knew the depths of everything. Um, so um, that's, and that's why I go back to that kind of those conversations of how many times on the road when we, whether we're traveling with basketball and we're there the night before and we may grab it, we may, I can't think how many times I grab a bite to eat with the opposing SID and we're talking about job stuff. We're talking about the team or we're talking about uh, broadcast or we're talking about whatever. Um, instead of being like, Mike, you know what? I'm struggling, man. I'm struggling. Like we, we just never do that. Um, we typically don't do that. So I think we, we need to do a job. When I say, like we always talk about promoting ourselves. I don't necessarily think of that as, oh, we need to, this is the work we're doing or this is what we're doing. And it's promoting ourselves is promoting ourselves to, to ourselves. <laughs> we have to tell ourselves, hey, we're the number one option. We're the number one option here. Not our job, not a team. It, it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's the literally exact opposite of what we do as a job. And that's what makes it so difficult. I've got one, one personal question for you, Scott, and then I'll get to Kay with the next question. And the question comes from the audience and um, trying to find the right therapist. How did you know and what, uh, what worked best for you in trying to find the person that could help you the most? Um, it, it, it really just came down to fit and where I probably was mentally at the time. Um, and when I say fit, I mean, um, it's not... It, it's not the gender, age, 
whatever um, of the of the therapist. It was literally um, just where I was mentally at the time, willing to hear what they were saying. Um, I, I can't even honestly tell you what the first therapist I went to. I think three appointments with the first therapist. Um, I remember one thing he said, and from the beginning. Um, it was literally within like the first 15 minutes, he said something and it literally turned me off for the next three sessions. And I want to know part of it because I was at the point there that I was like, no, this guy doesn't know me. He doesn't understand. Um, so it, it's really about fit and what you're looking for. Um, somebody to comfort you, somebody to listen. Um, it, it's really about what you're looking for at that moment. Um, so it, it's, it's, I, I think for you, I go back to lists. I mean, how many times do SIVs make lists? But I mean, maybe write down what you're looking for in a therapist. Maybe take some time to really, they're going to help me get healthier in X way. I want to be X, set your goals ahead of time and understand what you want out of that therapist. Um, and that may help you. Okay, uh, I've got a question that was uh, sent in, in advance of, of our session starting today, and it doesn't really tie directly to what Scott was talking about, but if you're comparing yourself to your friends and family and where they are in their lives and where you are in your lives, um, how, how do you handle that if you don't think you're measuring up to where they are and where, you, where you'd like to be? And um, I guess it's a little self-reflection there. How do you handle that? Mm-hmm. So I think it really comes down to how you see yourself, really, um, and how you um, and how much self-awareness that you have about yourself. I know in today's age, it's so easy to do with technology, with um, uh, social media, you know, and and all these other um, all this other access that we have into someone else's life. Um, but I think what we forget is. Everyone has a highlight reel. I mean, we're all in athletics. Everyone's gonna show you their highlight reel. And that's what we have to remember. The other thing that we have to remember too is we can't assume that we know what a person's journey was prior to us meeting them where we are. Like we're walking in on a particular chapter of someone's life and we just so happen can be arriving at a really good chapter where you know the seeds that they planted are finally flourishing. You don't know, you know, the storms that it took for them to get to where they are. And I think um, we all do ourselves a disservice when we, when we start making those comparisons without really knowing the journey that it takes for a person to, to get to where, we, where, where we're seeing them um, right now. So, Every year on my birthday, I'm going to self-disclose here for a little bit. Every year on my birthday, um, my, my year, I know everyone's calendar year pretty much starts in January 1. January 1 is like, oh, I'm going to go work out in the gym. I'm going to do all these, these wonderful things that I have not done in the last five years. Well, I don't do that. I use my birthday as an opportunity to reflect on my year prior. So I'm always like looking back. I, I reflect a lot. And one of the things that I gained from doing that is I create my own measuring stick from where I was a year ago. And, and I assess, make the adjustments that I need to make for my upcoming birthday. So it's like, okay, 
oh, I did do those things. Okay, that's great. So I'm setting a standard for myself, not my neighbor, not my colleague, not my girlfriends who are doing who are doing well. Um, I I'm setting that standard for myself, and I'm finding it to be more freeing. Because I think the other thing too is what people want is to be liberated. And I know, I know, you know, we think of liberation as, um, you know, being free from confinement, but liberation is also about being free in your own mind and your heart. And, and we forget those things when, when, you know, we're in that daily grind of, you know, being a professional or being a parent or being a spouse or whatever whatever those things that, you know, we find ourselves consumed with on a day, on a day-to-day -day basis. Scott, a question, a question for you about um, putting family first and, and getting out of the industry. And, and at what point uh, did you decide to, or were you able to do that and not, not go back and be, be back in the grind, if you will? Yeah, I mean, and prior to this, I put a lot of thought behind this because, I mean, obviously, I still stay pretty connected to a lot of different people in the industry. Um, and I'm well aware what is happening, not only in college athletics as a whole, but also in the communications and SID role um, with people leaving the industry and resignation and everything else. I want people to understand that I loved my job and I, I, I still worked with student athletes here, thank God. Um, if I wasn't basically forced out of my role at Delaware, I would absolutely still be in the industry because I love the job that much. Um, but I had found a balance and that's what I think worked for me. Um, it took me a while, um, and to understand when I'm in a job, I need to know, and it's really tough to know ahead of time, um, that's why you really have to figure out how to ask and how to figure it out um, of what you value in a job. I have talked to probably three or four people um, that have bounced around different jobs uh, in the SID world in the last two years that thought they, oh, I want to be a men's basketball contact and I want to be at a power five. And I want to be, well, guess what? You, sometimes you can't do that and accomplish the other things you want in your personal life. So you have to, if, when, when you're putting that value first, when you're putting your health and your family first, you may have to take an, a job that you didn't think you would want at first, or maybe you're working at a school that values that stuff more than the other school that you thought would may take you to a different realm. Um, I, I think you really have to, again, understand what you value and what will help you on the personal side of things. Um, and that's, I think for me, that's the biggest thing is understanding that and what environment work-wise will allow you to be aligned with those values, whether that's spending time with your kids and spending time with X, Y, and Z. Um, I was very fortunate and I, and I know it. And I, I thank every day that I landed where I was um, in a job that I love. And I, I'm very fortunate. Um, but I also know that there's a lot of ability and hope out there that with different tools and different ways, you can manage that stuff and still stay in the business. So it really fits whatever that individual is looking for. 
So hopefully thank that. You, yeah, thank you, Scott. And we're nearing the top of the hour, so I'm going to ask both of you to give us a final takeaway. What would you like to leave with the audience today as it relates to our mental health and approach to our profession? And I'll start with Dr. Cole. Um, so a few things, really. I think that we should start um, normalizing, asking for help. Um, I think we should also start normalizing, learning from our mistakes, um, finding ways to have these difficult conversation. Um, I think we should also, as Scott mentioned, finding your corner, um, who's locating um, and discovering who your safe people are, whether that's on your job or in your personal life. Um, I think that we should also start giving ourselves grace and compassion. You know, we're going to extend this to our friends and our families. I think that we should also start giving it to ourselves. Um, I think that one, another thing too is that we must be, we want to be well at all costs. I mean, we need to be aggressively and, and radical about taking care of ourselves um, all the time um, and, 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 and by any means necessary, it, essentially. I think the other thing that we should um, look at is um, understanding that being broke sometimes is not the absence of money. It is also about the absence of our self-worth, our self-respect, our self-dignity, and we owe it to ourselves to protect those things. And, and Scott, um, your final thoughts and what would you like to leave with the audience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a couple things, Mike. I, I, I think coming in, I, I wanted and it's a word that if I go back to and lean on a lot um, and it may be a cliche word, but um, during my lowest times, I think it's um, I did a podcast interview at one point in the last couple of months about my story. And they asked me if I could tell myself back in those days, one word, what would it be? Uh, or one phrase. And it was literally don't give up hope. Um, and I think, am I literally the daughter that I was holding uh, five years ago, her middle name is Hope. And we named her that for a reason. Um, so, so many times in this industry, and I, again, I haven't been in the industry in over a year now, but I still talk to plenty of people. Um, there's just, we feel hopelessness sometimes, and even more so during every, the last two or three years. Uh, whether there's hope that we can take care of our mental health, whether there's hope that we're going to get more staff, whether there's hope there's other don't ever give that up. Just don't. Um, and you're going to find the right spot and there's a plan and everything. Um, I, I, there's a reason I ended up here. Um, and the other thing I, I want people to understand is whether it be in the industry or not in the industry, I can't tell you how many times I sat in my job thinking, what the hell else would I do? Like, I, I like, this is what I've done. This is all I've done. Dr. Cole hit on it right from the beginning. We, we're the masters of a bunch of different things. Um, understand that. And whether it works or whether it doesn't work, you need to find what value, what helps you value yourself more than anything. Um, because if you don't value yourself, you, you're just never going to be able to take care of yourself. And, and more than anything, I, I encourage you guys to do that and find what works for you. Um, I can sit there and talk to eight different people and every single one of them has a different method that works every single one of them. Um, so I, that's, 
find what works for you and don't we talked about we talked about the comparison thing earlier um i worked with shaka smart who's now at marquette and he has a zillion different quotes and everything else but the quote that always stuck with me was comparison is a thief of joy and i say this to my 10 year old and i try to say myself to every day because this was probably the biggest thing that i did and i still do um and i try to get better at it is especially in the social media world um we're looking at everybody else I have X, Y, I have a friend who literally, I feel like they're in Cancun or wherever every month. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing wrong? Um, but I'm also able to go coach my kids on the weekends or I'm able to go home for dinner or I'm able to have incredibly empowering conversations with students and student athletes who come here. Um, so those are the things that maybe I value a little bit more than going to Cancun in that moment. Um, and then lastly, and I talked about it a little bit, Mike, but I, I really do think, and this is what one thing we, we do really do here at Sean's house and the foundation is really building those relationships that you value. Um, and Dr. Cole said, maybe, maybe there's three or four people in the athletic department you work at that are struggling. And maybe if you open up to them, you guys can help each other through. So use those relationships. There's two coaches still at Delaware that I stay in contact with almost every day. And we send encouraging messages to each other. We check in with each other. Um, we help each other through that because they know my story. Um, it's really tough and really not easy to open up, but I did. And I thank God every day I did because I've become a better person because I opened up and I was real um, with what I'm struggling with. And I just encourage people to just do that um, because you never know a who you're going to connect with and b who you're going to help. Um, and don't ever hesitate to reach out to me. So that's it. Yeah. Scott, thank, thank you. And Dr. Cole, thank you so much for your, your discussion and your insights today on this very important topic. Again, thanks to Capital One for sponsoring Cosetta's professional development and education programming. We encourage you to check out uh, COSIDA.com for updated information on what's on tap for COSIDA continuing education this year. Wishing everyone a continued safe and healthy holiday season and happy new year. Thanks again for being with us today.